Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was April 22nd, 1954. U.S. Senator Joseph McCarthy began hearings investigating the U.S. Army for being soft on communism. The hearings were broadcast on the ABC and DuMont networks until June 17th, and they became a congressional spectacle. In the early 1950s, television was a growing medium in the United States. Televised congressional hearings were just gaining steam. In March of 1951, somewhere around 30 million people watched the key fiver committee hearings to the surprise of network executives. The hearings put organized crime big shots on the stand and in front of millions of Americans who had their eyes glued to the screen. It was the most widely viewed congressional investigation ever. So the Army McCarthy hearings were not the first ever hearings to be broadcast, but they did get gavel-to-gavel TV coverage and tons of attention. The period in the 1940s and 1950s in America, when a fear of communism was pervasive, is known as the Red Scare. During this time, the House Un-American Activities Committee rooted out communists in the federal government and political subversives in Hollywood. Senator McCarthy was a prominent anti-communist figure during this time, as he hurled accusations of communism at celebrities and his opponents. He cost people their reputations and livelihoods by manipulating the media and smearing their names. McCarthy's bold accusations got him a lot of attention, and he became a divisive figure. Many people saw his actions as patriotism, while others viewed them as self-serving and overzealous. Regardless, McCarthy's antics continued. His constant attacks on suspected communists were becoming a political problem once Republican President Dwight D. Eisenhower took office in 1953. And by 1954, he was falling out of favor. But McCarthy couldn't let his fame and importance to the administration fade. When G. David Shine, one of his former investigators, was drafted into the Army, McCarthy's chief counsel, Roy M. Cohn, pressured military officials to give Shine special privileges. But the Army refused, issuing a chronology of how Cohn pressured the Army to give Shine preferential treatment. So McCarthy said that the Army was holding Shine hostage so he couldn't expose communists in the military. The Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, which McCarthy chaired, voted for an inquiry into his charges that the Army was soft on communism. The hearings would have live television coverage. McCarthy was replaced as chair by Senator Carl Munt, and the hearings began on April 22, 1954. Over the 36 days of hearings, McCarthy's outbursts and harsh demeanor did not bode well for his future in Congress. He often yelled point of order when he didn't like something that was said, and he interrupted people frequently. One of the most memorable moments of the investigation came during his exchange with the Army's chief counsel, Joseph Welch. When McCarthy suggested Fred Fisher, a lawyer in Welch's Boston law firm, was a communist sympathizer, Welch responded in part, let us not assassinate this lab further, Senator. You've done enough. 
Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? After the exchange was over, the gallery applauded. Television coverage of the hearings had done McCarthy no favors. After calling out McCarthy's staff for potentially harboring subversives, Senator Stuart Symington said near the end of the investigation, the American people have had a look at you for six weeks. You are not fooling anyone. The committee concluded that Cohn, but not McCarthy, engaged in unduly persistent or aggressive efforts in trying to get shine privileges. And the committee said the Army had exhibited some suspicious behaviors, though no charges were upheld against the Army. The hearings played a huge role in McCarthy's downfall, though they were good for the TV networks. Press about McCarthy grew more negative. His approval ratings were dropping. Soon, he was replaced as chairman of the investigating committee. And in December 1954, the Senate voted to censure him for conduct contrary to Senate traditions. Still, McCarthy continued to spout anti-communist rhetoric. He died in 1957. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. See you same place, same time tomorrow. Hey y'all, it's Eves again, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that proves every day in history is fascinating. The day was April 22, 1915. The Germans released chlorine gas during the Second Battle of Ypres, marking the first effective use of poison gas on the Western Front. Chemical weapons have been used for hundreds of years. At the end of the 19th century and into the 20th, treaties and declarations began acknowledging the issue of poison gases by forbidding the use of poisons in warfare. The Hague Conventions of 1899 and 1907, for instance, forbade the use of poison and poisoned weapons. But this rule was violated in the First World War. World War I is sometimes referred to as the Chemists' War because of the role chemicals and technology played in the conflict. Chlorine, phosgene, and mustard gas all caused many deaths and injuries during the war. The production and deployment of these gases posed a health threat to combatants, civilians, and people involved in their manufacturing processes. Once the war began, Germany put a lot of effort into researching and producing these chemical agents. German chemist Fritz Haber helped develop Germany's poison gas program. Haber headed the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Physical Chemistry and Electrochemistry. He was also given an army captaincy and led the chemistry section at the Ministry of War in Berlin, helping coordinate the production of ammonia needed in the war. Many people condemned Haber for his role in chemical warfare, though he won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1918 for the synthesis of ammonia from its elements. Swedish pharmacist Carl Wilhelm Schule discovered chlorine back in the late 1700s. As a gas, chlorine is a greenish-yellow color, and it is two and a half times heavier than air. Though chlorine is used in some household products and in drinking water, it can be used as a poisonous gas. 
Chlorine gas stays close to the ground in areas without wind and spreads rapidly. It is very toxic to humans. When a person breathes chlorine gas, it reacts with moist tissues like the eyes, throat, and lungs to form acid. Inhaling low levels can cause eye, skin, and airway irritation, as well as a sore throat and cough. Exposure to higher levels of chlorine gas can cause chest tightness, wheezing, shortness of breath, and bronchospasm. If a person is severely exposed, they could get pulmonary edema, a condition caused by excess fluid in the lungs. Chlorine gas is easy to produce and handle. Haber turned to chlorine gas for use in chemical warfare. The French launched tear gas attacks against the Germans early in World War I. And early in 1915, the Germans fired thousands of shells filled with the irritant xylyl bromide at Russian troops at Bolimov. In this case, the weather was cold and the chemical could not vaporize to pose any threat to the Russians. But on the evening of April 22, 1915, during the Second Battle of Ypres, the Germans released nearly 200 tons of chlorine gas from cylinders buried along the front. The gas attack created a several-mile gap in the Allied line defending the city. Though it poisoned many of the soldiers and caused panic, the Germans failed to take effective action in its aftermath and the Allies held the Ypres position. Poison gas continued to be a part of warfare in World War I. Technology and training continued to progress on both the offensive and defensive sides of gas warfare. The Allies developed gas masks, and the Germans introduced mustard gas in 1917. Somewhere between 90,000 and 100,000 people died due to chemical weapons in the war, with most of those deaths caused by phosgene. During and after the First World War, nations like the US, Britain, Italy, Russia, Spain, and Japan used chemical weapons in conflicts. The Chemical Weapons Convention, which took effect in 1997, bans the development, production, stockpiling, and use of chemical weapons, though it has been violated. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions that you'd like to send our way, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast. You can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.